Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Welcome to the B&E Podcast once more. Because I say that all the time on the B&E podcast is once, once more. Once more. Yeah, that's your thing. Here we are <laughs> on the B&E podcast doing our not so serious Sunday where we don't know what the shit is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a guest on the show today, Shane Martin. Hello, everybody. Who is a musician. Yeah. Still, it still feels weird hearing it. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, yeah. you just gotta claim it. You just gotta own You're a musician. That. You are, um, and I music. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you are originally from Halifax, or, or no, just, uh, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. Yeah, you're from like a small, very small, yeah, like, like middle of nowhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, you, so you play a a couple of different instruments, Mm -hmm. but you mostly focus on the drums. Drums, drums were the first instrument I started and kind of what I grew up playing predominantly. And when I was in Halifax, that's what I was, that's what I was actually like making money doing was playing drums. But uh, that makes you a professional, by the way. It does. It does. If you've ever, I can't remember who, somebody I, I know is from the acting scene. And they basically said, if you have ever been paid mm. for your acting, just like if you've ever been paid for playing music, you are an actor. You are a musician like you like you. That makes you a professional. It's true. And it's uh, when I first because I'd done some things because uh, I guess realistically hours spent. I've probably spent more hours playing guitar at this point. Oh, put okay. more time into it. But the amount of times I've gone out and actually made money playing guitar versus playing drums were very different, but it took me a long time to actually, when someone asks, Oh, what do you do? It's like, Oh, I'm a musician. Cause it's yeah. just like right here. It just feels weird to try and claim that for myself. Cause I don't know. It's like, when do you feel worthy of that? I hear you. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I remember when I started out as an actor, how hard it was to be like, well, I'm an actor, but you know, I hadn't really booked any work yet, but it was like, I was dedicated to it, you know? And like, you know, and, and everybody has their own kind of idea of like, when do you actually like become something? And I, I think the thing is, is like, it's an interesting idea. Cause I've talked about this before is like, you're not necessarily a musician, but you're not necessarily are a musician. It's just that you play music. You love music, you know? And if you don't need to label yourself, then you can take the whole validation thing right out of the equation. Yeah, it's a good point. You know point. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cause, um, like right now, like I'm an actor, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a screenwriter and I'm producing movies. So it's like, what do I do? And I, you know, I, you know, I, I just say to people like I make movies, that's what I do in yeah. various forms, you know, and that's what I do, but it's something I do, but I also hike. Yeah. <laughs> so like long walks on the beach, <laughs> candle at dinner. And I also do this podcast. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I, I remember watching, um, it was a Ted talk, this video, this guy was, uh, how do how to know, like how to find out your life purpose in five minutes Oh yeah, or something. And it was just like a couple of TEDx talk. Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. like, it was like a couple of, it was very interesting, right? Like it's maybe, you know, not quite as simple as he was making it, but it still was kind of like a nice way of like kind of cutting through some things. And it was interesting the way that, um, 
that he puts how we, how we sort of define what we do because most of us like, well, yeah, like we'll try and define ourselves by some sort of an occupation, some sort of a label. Says, but you really get underneath what it is that like for myself, like as in, as an actor and as a teacher of acting, I might, somebody might ask me, it's like, Oh, what do you do? And I would say, say, um, I help people connect to their humanity. Oh, nice. Right. That's a good way and to you, put it. and you yeah. put it and you put it in that way and they go, wait, what, like, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? But like, it kind of like creates a sense of curiosity, but it's like getting a, over like sort of the action of what you're doing. Like what's really fueling the thing as opposed to just being the thing. Yeah. You know, I like that. Cause my, my mentor, uh, Lee, he taught me to, when I talk about teaching film, he said, don't say that you run a film school. Like don't, that's not what you do. What you do is you inspire a certain type of person to create and pursue something. So he said, you know, what are the, he said, name, what are the type of people you want? Who, who do you work with? And I said, well, I want to work with inspired people and motivated people. And he said, okay, so you are someone that takes inspired and motivated people. And what do you do? And you're like, I basically help empower them to create their career and put themselves in demand. That's what you do. That's what you do. So you don't run a film school. You teach motivated, inspired people to pursue a career where they can be sought after instead of having to search out work. I'm like, that sounds way better. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. This yes. is like much better than saying I run a film school, which is boring. Right. Yeah. So like, and the thing is, there's nothing untrue about what you're saying either. No, that's the other great so thing just, about it. I think uh, we're very quick to like, when someone asks you what you do, you immediately jump to, well, how do I make my money? Yeah. And that's not always what you're about. Like, right. yeah. And I think that's a big thing for me too, is ultimately I want to, I want to make music and I want to always make music. And that's something I've always, um, struggled with is the fact that if I start trying to pursue it full time and it's just not happening, it's not happening. Well, I'll put it this way. When I was playing drums professionally, I was playing a lot less guitar, which meant I was writing a lot less of my own music. So I might've been, you know, playing professionally and, and doing something I loved, but it wasn't something I necessarily believed in. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was a fun band. We did a lot of really cool shows, but at the end of the day, it wasn't something I felt creatively inspired by, or even just like that I was putting any of myself into it. It was just fun and it paid some bills. Yeah. And then once I kind of like left that situation, I started writing and I realized I had so much that I had to put out and that I wanted to put out. But so it feels like I struggle with the idea of um, pursuing it fully and becoming bitter and then not expressing myself through it. And then if I don't have that to express myself, I'm not really sure what else I'm going to be able to use. You know, it's, um, that's, I, I, you know, you're definitely not alone because I can totally relate to that. And I, and I think a lot of artists can relate to that. In fact, uh, Scotty who's on the other end of this. He's, uh, he's a screenwriter and, um, you know, I remember, uh, we were, we had a talk one night and, um, and I, and he was just kind of like, you know, I don't know if I'm ever really going to make money as a screenwriter and all this stuff. And I was like, just kind of relating it back to like when we were kids, it's like, well, when we were kids, we were playing imagination, right? And we're playing cops and robbers and we didn't really worry like what anyone thought of it. We did it because we loved it. And I said, you know, like when you're writing your next script, it's just kind of like loading. I think the way I put it was like, it's like loading your cap gun. 
You know, just load your cap gun, play the game, do the thing. You love the game, right? Don't worry about all the stuff. And I think what happens as artists, we get so caught up in like needing to succeed Mm -hmm. in the material world. And like, he'll remind me, like when I was struggling with this latest script, he's like, load the cap gun, buddy. I'm like, you're right. Load (laughs) the cap gun, right? So yeah. I I recently, (laughs) I I posted a a quote that came my way just yesterday and uh, it was Ursula Le Guin. And she said, the creative adult is the child who survived. Oh yeah. I love that. And I was like, Oh yeah. That just like, (laughs) (laughs) that just like tingles all over me. I was like, Oh yeah, that's all kinds of good. Yeah. So well, tell us, so tell us your journey. Like where did, uh, where did things begin as a musician? Like when, when, like were you banging on drums and stuff when you were a little kid? What was the deal? I attribute it to my stepdad actually. So when I was growing up, my, my parents divorced when I was probably five years old and I think my mom essentially left my dad for my stepfather Okay. and, uh, they pretty much moved in together right away. So I was doing like a week on week off thing. Um, but he was a drummer pretty much all his life and he was in this, uh, blues rock band. They've been a band for like 25 years or something and they got together every Sunday. So I always had the drums in the basement and every week I would have these old farts coming and playing this like <laughs> real great blues music. And I'd go down there, little kid, little, you know, and have my big ass, uh, like construction headphones on so I could listen. And I just loved the hell out of it. I thought it was so cool. And like, I could fall asleep to that, but I would never have started playing drums if it wasn't for the fact that there was drums immediately there because who the hell is buying their kids a drum set? Like yeah, it's, right. that's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big one. That's oh, a yeah. commitment. You got to make room in your place for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, but honestly, and the noise, yeah. I actually didn't even want to play drums when I first started getting into music. I wanted to start out playing saxophone actually, okay. because I thought my stepdad did it. It's not cool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. If my stepdad's doing, it's like, eh, I don't really want to do drums that. Your he was the drummer. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but eventually I just started getting into it and found I really had a, like an affinity for it and a knack for it. And a lot of my family are musicians in some form or another. So we'd always just kind of get together and play. And that's what really started out. And I started, uh, like the people I grew up with started picking up instruments too. And I was pretty much in a band, whatever you call it, like right away. And, yeah. uh, we had all sorts of different names and that, and I always kind of enjoyed what I missed out on drumming and I was always envious of guitar players actually, because I just loved the idea that somebody could sit down by themselves and just play themselves a song. Okay. Cause that's something you don't really get to do when you're playing drums. Like you can go practice, but it's still, right. I found for me drumming, if I didn't have an exterior influence, like a, another sort of music or just something to vibe off of, then I like a melody of some kind, yeah, yeah. something to drive and like help me, create ideas around what the rhythm should be. So I started, uh, my dad actually bought a guitar when I was probably like 13 and he said he was going to practice playing it. Never picked it up a day in his life. I don't think, but <laughs> it was there. So I started playing oh, it nice. right around the same time. Um, I just started playing more guitar and practicing drums less, but still I was, I was a drummer. And then somewhere that line kind of blurred, I think after, after I moved out and had to get my own my own apartment because I can't really take a, a drum set into the city. Of right. My apartment. Yeah. yeah. Guitar but is definitely more mobile. <laughs> way more mobile. Yeah. And, and I, less disruptive to the neighbors. <laughs> just depends what kind of guitar player you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. I just love the acoustic guitar and I love that I could sit there and I think I was, <laughs> I think it's laziness actually, but, uh, 
I didn't go about learning any theory or anything like that. And I didn't really learn covers or anything. I just would sit there with the guitar and put my fingers places and be like, okay, well, I like the way that sounds. Mm. And then I just started kind of writing the first couple songs were terrible. And then you write more and more. And then eventually I think it just starts to get a little better because you start to figure it out. Like you're saying, um, you guys are figuring out the podcast, you know, it's like one step at a time. You're getting a little more under your belt. And I think it was the same with writing. And, uh, but now kind of at this point where I know all these things about the guitar and all of, uh, these places I can go and I can hear it in my head. But if I was to show you a song, I would not be able to tell you one of the chords that I play. Unless yeah. it's like the <laughs> very, very simple chords. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Cause uh, wasn't Jimi Hendrix or someone like that? He was self-taught. There's a few guitarists who've like been self-taught and they have a really like yeah, powerful, they, unique style. They just like, they, they were self-taught or they, they just started to listen to the, like the people that they really liked and, and start to figure out how they did what they did. And then, yeah. you know, within the time there's all these different sounds going on. And so next thing you know, you've got, you know, if you look at something like classic rock, like Jimi Hendrix or Jimmy Page or Eric Clapton, like the guys from, from that time, like basically it was, they were just listening to blues. They were listening to, you know, Sunhouse and, and BB King and, uh, Muddy Waters and, and these guys and listening to this Chicago blues. And then, but then at the same time, like, the electric was starting to like come out and they were starting to figure out like this rebellious like sound that could come out of a, out of an amplifier. And so next thing you know, it's like, it's just like, you know, Jimi Hendrix, especially like just the fuzz that he would, you know, just like that fuzz pedal that he would put into it, just distort the shit out of it. And then, <laughs> but it was blues. Like you listen yeah, to it. Yeah. It's like, he's playing straight up blues, but mm. then it's just like, but then there's just, heaps of acid (laughs) (laughs) thrown into it and like people's minds were just blown because nobody had ever heard anything like that before. Yeah, totally. But that's incredible. I mean, you, you have a good, uh, you have a great like uh, understanding of like the history of music, which I don't. So I'm sure I can ask you guys a lot. I have, I have a certain (laughs) understanding of a certain period of history of music, but that's just because that's what I'm inclined towards. But, um, Nice. But you've been, uh, I know that you've been doing some recording recently. Yeah. Um, so, well, I did a, I just moved out of Halifax the start of the summer probably. Um, and I, I'd been writing all these tunes with uh, some friends there and I'd never recorded any of it. And I've been writing music for pretty consistently for about four or five years now. And I have about three to three and a half hours of original music and none of it is anywhere. And I just wanted to make sure that I had a little something before I went. So I just like got a bit of studio time for myself and went in with some friends and just did kind of like a quick live off the floor, uh, just three songs, little demo. Yeah. And I ended up, but I do what I always do. And I I started listening to it and I was like, Oh, but we could stick this in here. We could (laughs) stick that in there. And one of the amazing things about Halifax is the Halifax music co-op. So it's this group of, they probably have, 400 members and they exist in this, they have this old church for themselves and they do lessons there and they do, uh, they have jazz ensembles. They have like a whole, uh, concert ensemble. And then these are people that are just like, I enjoy playing music and I haven't had a chance since, you know, some of them since school and they just want to start playing clarinet again or anything like that. So speaking of which, uh, there was one tune I had that, uh, 
I wanted to put a string quartet to. And another friend of mine and I sat down one day, and I don't know any theory, but he was a jazz student. So we sat there, and he had a piano, and we just listened to the song over and over, and I just kind of sung parts, and he'd find it on the piano, and then he'd write it down. And we ended up actually writing it for a uh, clarinet quartet. And because the co-op was there, we could go and we found an actual clarinet quartet to come and record this. Cool. And, they, and they did it for free, just because... They're like, I, I love doing this. This That's is a amazing. cool experience wow. for me to get into a studio and record. So there's all sorts of stuff you can utilize, but I run into this problem where I get excited and I hear all these things and I want to stick too much in and I just end mm. up making things really busy and they take away from each other. Yeah. You know, um, that's, you know, that's something that uh, I'm really like learning as a filmmaker uh, moving forward is simplicity to really trust simplicity. You know, I was breaking down, uh, and, and uh, pr- probably some of the people were there, but I was breaking down, uh, people are alive on pocket live. Um, but I was breaking down a scene from Goodwill hunting. I, you guys have seen the movie. I right? just watched it for the first okay. time the other night. All right. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's an amazing perfect. movie, oh, right? Man, this, is, okay. this is so good. So, so it's going to be fresh in your mind. You remember the scene where they're at the park bench by the pond mm-hmm. and, uh, um, basically will hunting and well, Robin Williams and, uh, what's his name? I don't remember Robin Williams character, but Robin Williams and, uh, uh, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. Um, they're sitting there, they're having a talk. If you watch that whole scene, we, we did a technical film Tuesday and I broke it down for everybody, but like the, it's basically like three shots. The, almost the entire scene is only three shots. It's a medium close up on Robert Williams, Robin Williams. It's a medium close up on Matt Damon. And then it's a, it's a basically a wide shot from behind them. And it starts like this. It goes like this wide shot from behind them. It's just the two of them on the bench sitting there. Then it basically cuts to Matt Damon and, uh, Robin Williams a couple times, just a couple quick cuts. And then it's a, like a two minute and 40 second shot almost, or at least a minute and a half or something just on Robin Williams. Yeah. And he gives that amazing monologue. Yeah, It gives an amazing monologue and all it's doing, you don't even realize it, but it looks really great. It's just tracking a little bit, slowly, yeah. slowly, slowly until it reveals a little bit of Matt Damon's face. And then it turns around to show, show his reaction, cuts back to, to Robin Williams, cuts back to Matt Damon. And the last shot <clears throat> is, is of Matt Damon sitting alone on the bench, which is symbolic. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was shot in three shots and, and basically it had like maybe seven cuts. And it's like one of the most powerful scenes in like film. Yeah. And I'm just like looking at it and I'm going, man, that is a lesson there as a filmmaker. Like keep it simple. You don't need to cut back and forth and, and try to, you know, you don't need to overshoot it and get all these wide shots and close ups and whatever. Just sometimes it's just that simple thing. And you know, when I first saw the movie, I don't know if, if you had this experience, I didn't notice any of that. I, I, I noticed I was like, Exactly. Staring yeah, at the movie, you know, and I was in love with what was happening, but I I didn't notice the. But now when you when you explain it, I can I can visualize. Yeah, you can see it now. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it. Simplicity, in some ways, you don't even notice the editing, and you don't notice the shots. So I mean, I'm not a musician myself, but I could imagine with music, it works the same. When you're simple, people don't notice what you're doing as a musician. Mm-hmm. But when you get a little more complicated, people probably start to because the cacophony of it all. It's, it's kind of like, I feel like it's almost a, an ego thing as well. Yeah. It's, 
I'm, I'm putting something out there and this is now representative of who I am as a musician. Mm-hmm. So as much as I want it to be accessible and I want people to, to get something from it, I also want another musician to listen to it and go, shit, like, I like what you were doing yeah, there. That was impressive. Right. And so it's, I, but I feel like that's mostly like a, an, an ego thing. It's just that I want to be not only accepted by the people that are listening, but also by, you know, my peers as musicians. But yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's a hard thing because ultimately I'm, I'm making this music because I want to make it. And that's something that I feel I will never, I will never compromise, especially as with the lyrics I'm writing, because as much as like I write something that I think is funky and interesting on the guitar, when I write the lyrics, it's because this is something that has helped me. Mm-hmm. And usually there's a common theme of me just not being sure of where I'm heading of just some sort of confusion of doubt within myself. And I just really enjoy using metaphor to kind of explain that. I never, I'm not a storyteller. I can't say this happened and then this happened and it made me feel this way. Yeah. But I can explain to you how I'm feeling and the process that took place when it was happening. Right. So that's, if somebody, if somebody genuinely feels something from that, that's just such a cool feeling to yeah. know yeah. that you've affected somebody in that way. And I love that kind of music where it's just like, it's not yeah necessarily telling a story, but it's like, it, it paints just some kind of a picture or it gives you some sort of a feeling or a, or a sense of, um, where someone's at. Like my, one of my favorite albums of all time is on the beach by Neil Young. And you listen to that front to back and you feel like you, you knew him at that time in his life, like deeply, like on an emotional level, on like a philosophical level, what was going on with him. And the music is just fucking brilliant. Right. Like the, the last song of that, like if I've listened to it, I've sat down and just listened to the album. I remember the last time I did that, it was with a friend of mine. We, we just sat, I'm like, Oh, you haven't heard this. You've got to listen to this album. So we just sat on the couch and we listened to it, having a couple of drinks. Right. And like, it came to the last song and like, we were both just sitting there in like fucking tears. Like we were just <laughs> like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. That's awesome. Like, it's so good. But well, yeah, uh, that's like, I mean, you know, maybe that's a good segue into like how, like, cause I mean, I can relate to film. Like I have a certain respect for film that, you know, just being a filmmaker and a screenwriter, I suppose, um, and maybe even a bit of an actor, like that's something that I, I have a certain respect for all the pieces and how they come together. Um, with music, usually like some of my musician friends will point something out and I'll be like, Whoa, I didn't even know about that. Like I didn't even notice or whatever. And when I experience music, um, not that it's better or worse, but I just experience kind of the feeling or my, you know, like I'm like this, I like this or I don't like this or, you know, whatever until someone actually draws my attention to something for a good musician. I usually don't notice the things they're doing. I find that I'm envious of that Yeah, because since I was a kid, I haven't been able to listen to a song without picking it apart. (laughs) I haven't been able to listen to a song and just have it go through my ears and as long as I can remember. So I envy that but I think once you start to understand like technical sides of things, maybe it's just, uh, you, you can't help but pick those things out and try yeah. to understand it. Right. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, like when something amazing comes along, 
and just <laughs> Charlie. Well, keep talking, guys. Uh, I think uh, for a Pocket Live audience who's going to see me leave in a moment, uh, I think Charlie needs some food. So I'm going to go feed him. Oh. You, guys, you guys fill the we'll air of the going. podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so you, I, we've, cause like we know each other mm. a little bit, um, f- for people who are listening who, who don't know, but we, we've known each other since basically you, since you got yeah, here. Yeah, pretty much since I moved here. And, um, and you had shared with me that you had all of these songs that, uh, you were wondering whether you wanted to record them or not. Like there were some older songs of yours or something like yeah. that. And you were debating whether you want to like actually put them down or, or have you actually... So what I actually decided to do, I think when we were talking about that, so I am recording more as we speak. I was in two days ago. Uh, I think I'm going to be going in again on Wednesday and just doing another EP. Right. So I'll probably do five songs. Um, but yeah, my debate was I was... I'm Because I don't like... I want to keep moving on to the next thing. And that's, Mm -hmm. it's really cool because I get to write a lot and the things that keep coming are are really exciting. But because of that, I neglect some songs of the past because I feel like this isn't me now, Mm -hmm. but it still is me now. It's just a different, uh, it's just a different expression. But one of the things I realized is like, okay, these songs I've been perfecting for like two to three years of just like going over them and going over them and picking out parts I don't like and like fixing bits. The songs that I was planning to record, I've only been doing for like two or three months and they're not as strong. They just aren't, but I'm excited about them. Mm. But I think realistically, if I want to put out something that represents me, I should put out the strongest aspects of myself. Mm. And in two to three years, the songs that I'm excited about now will be those songs that I've totally just broken down and, and, you know, just worked on and worked on until yeah they are at a point where I just feel like, okay, this is as far as I'm going to take it. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, one of my friends is an architect and we were talking like, years and years ago, we were talking about this and he was saying, you know, <clears throat> you're always, whatever piece of art, cause architecture is a bit of an art too. He was saying, whatever your piece of art is, you always have to have a point where you're going to just be like, okay, it needs to be shipped. It needs to be put out there in the world. And, um, you know, because there's a certain percentage, like where you get into, I mean, I guess when you get into the last 10% of like perfecting it, where it's basically di- the law of diminishing returns, it just mm. isn't worth it anymore to keep trying to perfect it. And our aim as artists should be around like the 85, 87, 90 percentile of like per- perfection. And we leave that 10% of like incompleteness because basically you can go into it, but maybe you will for some things, maybe in some things you will, but, but not everything, because what ends up happening is you stop producing, you stop actually shipping and creating and putting your work out there. And, um, you get too caught up in perfection, which is actually kind of a, you know, perfection can kind of become like a mental disease to the artist, right? It can become a total like obliteration. And you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, why do I need this to be so perfect? You know what I mean? But, um, I don't know. That was an interesting thing he told me earlier on. And I think like, you know, especially when you're beginning, I don't know, like, I think it's what, what's really good is to, is to have some, maybe some things where you really perfect, but some things where it's like, you know, you just like let go and you produce, right. Cause you, you know, you got to get your work out there. You got to mm-hmm. get yourself moving. Right. 
Well, I think actually, uh, Evan and I had a great conversation about this, uh, before when you were talking about, uh, inspiration and how we tend to think our inspired creations are, this is, we give it, we put it up on a pedestal and we think that this is, this is the last time I'm going to make anything that's this good. It's all downhill from here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then you start to worry, but because of that, you like glorify this one thing when really it can be just like any other thing. And if you were to move on from it, then you would see that inspiration will come again. You put it way better than I'm putting it right no, now. No, no, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> to really encapsulate it pretty well. But I mean, it's like, yeah, it's the, the thing is that we will never, creativity and inspiration never runs out, you know, and we might have, the thing is we have to put some of our, our ideas, some of our, our things, you know, to rest at some, so we can move on to the next thing, which might be better, which might be something that we've just, didn't even conceive of being able to do at some point. Right. Yeah. So it's like, yes, stop looking at like every song, every project, every script as being like your last. Right. But we so often we treat it that way, you know, like we make them so, so precious. That's the word. Yeah. That's the right word. It's weird to get, you know, it's weird also to get external validation for your work because, um, you know, I, you know, that script, the burning blues, like yeah. I wrote that script and then, uh, you know, and then they wanted to finance that. And then I wrote another draft and at the time I'm like, man, this new draft's so good. And my old one's like crap. And then, and then now it's like, we're into this whole new thing. And it's like, and, and just the way it's evolved has been an interesting thing. But I think like for me, one of the challenges was in the beginning of like letting it go because I'm like, Oh, well, this is the movie that they want to finance. So like, there's part of me that doesn't want to let that go. But, um, as I've been going through the process, it's like, no, just always be willing to let go, you know, always be willing to start over because like, and I, and I, and like, I was just talking with a friend today and we were talking about actual like real life crime stories that have happened, you know, with like, just like drugs and, and the police and all sorts of stuff. And I was thinking, man, like, since I started this whole journey with that particular script, like how much I've learned, like everything I write now is going to be better than anything I've ever written because I'm in a new place. I've, I've met more people, evolved more, learned more. And I think like, um, there's these little nuggets of truth in those older drafts and kind of keep those nuggets of truth. Remember what those were, but like the, the ability to refine and truly improve my work is the ability to be able to let go of anything I've ever done. And the only thing that carries forth will probably carry forth because it's already in me. Like, for example, the initial draft um, was about a guy who was undercover and felt alone and felt alone in the world. And his basically his life was falling apart for the pursuit of a goal. That was the whole point of the story. So keep that, keep that in the next draft, but let go of everything else, you know, because there's always a nugget. So I imagine with these like songs you create, there's probably a nugget of truth in the beginning. And so then you can kind of hang on to that, but like everything else, all the ways you dress it up, you can let that go if you need to, to like allow your, whatever your, your essence, your, your voice in it was. Do you think that's true? I don't know. I suppose so. Like, I think, um, as far as, uh, I think I've always explained or like wrote songs about what was happening right then. Right. And because I've had those songs written actually more than not, I'll write a song and then, uh, two years down the way, I'll be playing it to myself and it'll end up having totally different meaning to me Mm. at that point. But it's still helpful. It still makes me reflect on what's happening and go, well, 
I've been here before. Right. I, I can see that. I've yeah. literally written about it. <laughs> so <laughs> what did I do in this case to, to try and move past it? So sometimes it can help, but there's always a nugget of truth, I think. And, uh, more often than not, because I'm just, if we were talking like technically, if I'm writing chord structures, mm-hmm. um, one thing I get hung up on is using the same chords a lot. But at the same time, if I don't, uh, <laughs> if I don't use them in that way, then the songs just don't make sense to me. I can't hear them that well. These are the, these are the notes and these are the chords that yeah. make sense to my ear. Right. So maybe that's a nugget of truth. And right to me is that those, those sounds, they mm-hmm. resonate with me. It's hard though. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to like, just figure out this whole thing of artistry as much as we try and figure out how artistry and industry find. Sometimes we're just having discussions about, you know, just improving our craft as artists. Cause one of the things that I found that's really great about this podcast, I mean, we've had musicians, architects, um, all sorts of different people, you know, actors, everybody. Um, and so, uh, one thing that's really interesting to me is hearing different perspectives of how people look at their art, because I think every art has gifts it can assist other arts with, you know, like when I hear you guys talk about music, I'm always trying to relate that back to screenwriting or filmmaking or acting or something. Right. And I'm going, Oh yeah. Well, if that's true in music, like I'm trying to go, Oh yeah, well that's kind of true in this too. And like, there's things you guys share, you might not realize, but I always try to like, find the similarities. Cause I think there's truths that sometimes like as a filmmaker, you're blind to it when you're only focused on film. Yeah. But then when you look at music or you look at painting or you look at something else, all of a sudden you start seeing it in a new way. And so I'm like, it's just interesting hearing you guys talk. No. About it because, and that's uh, something I always look for too, yeah. because I mean, music is something like if I wasn't so passionate about acting and teaching people about a certain way of approaching acting, um, music is probably the next avenue for me, you know, but it's always just been something that I've just done because I enjoy doing it. I get a lot out of it just for myself. It's Mm -hmm. therapeutic for myself. It's meditative, um, for me to do, you know, like I can be in a totally foul mood and I'll go and I'll just like pick up my guitar or whatever, whether I'm just like sort of jamming or if I'm actually playing some songs and doing some singing and I'll walk out of the room half an hour, an hour later, and I'll just be like, right as rain, Mm. you know, like (laughs) just, just totally fine. My mind is at ease. It's like, because it is, it's so, it takes my focus. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it grabs me and, and you're just, yeah, you're just hundred percent focused on the music. Um, I'm good on that one. You're good. Well, let's introduce the beers friends. Yeah. yeah. Yes. This is a, this is a wild ride on the not so serious Sunday. And I want to give a, I want to give a big shout out to Callister. Yeah. Callister Brewing. So this is the thing. I love Callister. Well, I spoke really close to the mic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys, we're yelling in your ears. Um, but anyway, I, I really like Callister. They're, they're one of the breweries that, um, you know, we located late in our podcasting adventures, but to every beer we've had from them, I find it's just been absolutely solid. They're awesome down there. They really, um, I think they try a lot of things with their beers, but anyway, I went in there and there was, um, two beers that I was crossed between in the beginning. (laughs) And I'm like, man, these are like 
I don't know which way to go. I'm like, I'm like thinking, okay, should I go this way or that way? And then the guy's like, well, try this beer too. This might be a good one. And so I was just going to go with one. And then I was like, you know what? It's a new year. I'm about to finish the script. I'm like, you know what? We're doing three beers tonight. We're doing a whole <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to get two mini growlers. I'm going to fill my growler. And he's like, um, he's like, that's awesome. And I was telling him a bit about the podcast and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to give you guys the growlers for free. So he gave me, he gave me a couple mini growlers, just threw them in. So, um, you know, just supporting the show. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. We'll podcast for beer. We'll podcast (laughs) for beer. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, a big thank you. And I think as we, as we grow as a podcast, you know, and we, so I want to make sure that we give a real big shout out to, to, uh, Callister Brewing just, uh, you know, um, which you write it down at the bottom of Clark there. I don't know the crossword, but it's right by Hastings. Um, yeah. And they're awesome. Um, so what is it? We're drinking right here. So we have three different beers. So let's do a taster of everyone. So this is our, let's go from our darkest to our lightest. So this is our darkest one. And then this will do second and then we'll do that third. So let's try this one before we reveal what these beers are. Um, everybody, uh, what we'll do is we'll just, we'll, we'll do some taste testing. So the darkest beer, our main beer. What do you guys, what do you guys, what do you guys think of it? Well, actually, normally I'm not a huge, uh, darker beer fan, but I've been really, really enjoying this. Okay. Yeah. I find sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm chewing it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's a little thicker, but this is, this is really nice. It's really smooth. Uh, it's, it's not bitter at all. It's just, it's really tasty. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty fresh. My only thing with it is, um, I'm getting like a licorice like, yeah like almost uh what is it, like any aniseed or star anise or whatever oh, okay. kind of a flavor into it which i mean i'm not a huge licorice person but i actually obviously i'm still able to drink it it's not it's i don't know if this is something i would go for so it's not it's not your that's okay not it, doesn't, my, it doesn't have to be everybody's winner i i'm i'm on board with you i really like this one i really think it's really great so so we got we got yeah, two thumbs up out of three <laughs> For this one, and you're like, uh, it's kind of middle of the road for you. Yeah. Middle yeah. of the road. Okay, so that's good. So this first one that we tried here, it has a, it has a funny name. It's called, uh, what the heck is it called here? Where are you? Oh, it's, <laughs> it's called uh, the, the Mobby Dinky. <laughs> the Mobby Dinky Stout. So it's a dry, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a dry herbal stout. That's what oh, it okay. is. So oh, herbal. Yeah, okay. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Though. Yeah. Cause it is, it's almost like it's got like a shot yeah. of Jager in it or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. He's like, it's a little Jaggery. Uh, <laughs> I know, but I, that's why I don't tell you guys first because I want to hear yeah, what you think. Well, that's a good point. You know, cause you hear Jager and then you think Jager and then maybe you don't, you know, you, think, you don't like it cause I you're I think when I was like real young and first started drinking and that yeah, was, yeah. that was the go-to. Oh dude. I think I was 18 and I got so drunk on Jager. I blacked out. Oof. Probably the only time in my life, and pff, I don't even want to tell you guys the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it anyway, so nice. you know, I are think people still doing Jager bombs? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. It's like is or is that like an early two thousand? It's thing? definitely like a it, well, it was definitely big, but it, I think people are still just gonna like do anything they can to get as fucked up as they can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So for our younger audience, when you guys get older, just watch out for that Jaeger. Yeah, watch out for that Jaeger. We're yeah. going lighter now. Okay. Okay. So we'll switch we're, the order. So we're gonna we're gonna go with the not the lightest. We're gonna go with the medium okay. darkness now. Oh. So I want to hear. 
I want to hear what one. you guys think of this one. Yeah. So give it a shot. Oh, that's kind of sweet. A little sweet. It's a little sweet in comparison to the last one. Yeah. So this was the, uh, I was crossed between the last one and this one when I was going to make my choice initially. Yeah. It's fruity. A little fruity. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a terrible palate for beer. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, then what's your, what's, just, what's your, like, are you liking it? What's I your, do enjoy it, actually, yeah. I, I do like it. It's, I'm a big fan of amber ales, and any, like, of the, of, like, a red beer I'm a big fan of, and this yeah. is kind of, like, getting in into that realm, I think. Yeah, it almost so, has, like, a cherry kind of flavor to it. So this one's called the Ryan OHL Hauser. <laughs> what's that? What's that? Uh, okay, so Ryan what, played in the OHL. Yeah, and it's a dark... German at beer. Ass beer or alt beer? Alt beer. Sorry, alt beer. I oh, okay. They, they wrote it funny there. And I'm not the biggest beer connoisseur. I'm not, yeah, I'm liking that boat too. So but, it's um, alt beer like an alternative beer? So it's a, it? it's a dark German. Uh, yeah, it's like... it's like There's a, a style, yeah. it's. Yeah. I, I don't know all the things behind it. It's a little bit... of what goes into an alt beer. But I think it's a little bit like a red ale. It's a little bit, you know... Right? It finishes kind of bitter. Yeah. Like it starts off sweet and ends bitter. So what do you guys think? The first one or the second one? I actually prefer the first one. Okay. All right. So that was the good one to go with for the bigger beer. What do you think, Evan? (laughs) Which the first or the second? I'll say the second. Yeah. A little bit. Just by a nose. Yeah. Just by a nose. Just by a nose. I think I agree with you. um, Because I actually really like the darker one. So like I almost give this one like two thumbs up because I like it, you know, even a little bit more. Yeah. Um, okay. So the other one now is it, is they're throwing a little bit of a curveball here. All right. Um, so, so try this baby out. This is like, I bet it's a sour. This is the lightest. This is like sour. the longest talk we've ever had on, uh, on beer. But you know what, Callister, we got three beers from you and you're, and you're throwing us in growlers. Set us up. We, so we, we love um, you. We love you. We will we'll talk, do. we'll talk about you for beer. <laughs> Whoa. I like that one the best of all. Oh, you like it the best. Nice. I'll explain why I didn't get this one the biggest in a moment. It's definitely hoppier. A little hoppier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's rich. It's rich. Yeah. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Kind of a little bit of a sipper. Yeah. You don't slam this one so much unless you really want to get, yeah. get hammered. I feel like, because I feel like I would, I would this, like drink this faster than I would drink this one for sure. Yeah. It'd be uh, dangerous. This one is, this um, is a 9.5. Okay. I was going to say <laughs> this, is like, yeah. this, this is I'm like, I feel like this one's creeping up on the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So it's called nine a, and a half. That's, that's damn near like, that's damn near like, um, getting uh, wine territory. Yeah. Man. Into wine territory. What do they call that? They, there's, um, Oh, like a bar- malt liquor, like a barley wine. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Barley it's a, it's a dry hop barley wine. That's oh, what this is okay. What? Yeah, it so is you a nailed barley it, wine. Man. Your your taste buds are pretty good. Okay, oh. so well, I just know that based on like the alcohol percentage, it's like once it gets to a certain level, it's mm. it's no longer legally you can't even classify it as beer. I was gonna say, is barley wine just a strong beer? Yeah, no, because, like the, because the, why do you call I think it like something then? like the barley or the hops can't survive at a certain alcohol percentage? You have to do it differently or something. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, this one's called Willie's Warmer. <laughs> Willie's Warmer. So you I like picture, it? I picture like sitting in a uh, in long underwear with the butt flap. Oh yeah. I don't know why. 
I like it. Well, we, can, we, we got lots of beer, guys, beer so, you know, this, this, uh, this podcast might get pretty wobbly. Yeah. Um, wobbly but, uh, anyway, so this, so the third one's your favorite. Willie Warmer's your favorite. And then our first one, which is the Mobby Dinky is your, is your second. And then third, <laughs> I know, don't worry, we've gotten some Wait, is it Mobby or Moby Dinky? Well, you know. Is it like a Moby Dick, uh... Well, M-A-U-B-Y is it? Oh, no, I don't know. Mobby. Mobby. I don't know. I mean, nobody likes Dinky in their beer name, but, you know, whatever. Um, and then uh, and then the last one was the, the, the Ryan OHL Hauser. Dark German at a beer. So, um, so, so we did a taste test. I mean, do you guys like them all? They're all yeah, they're all fantastic. Yeah, no, they're, yeah. all, they're, they're all great. I, mean, I, I think if you only had the option of the one, you probably guys would all be fine with it. You'd probably be really happy with all these beers. But because you get three of them, you get to kind of test your taste bud a little Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, if you're forced to pick one, then yeah. you're going to have <laughs> you're yeah. gonna have to pick some favorites. Yeah. So, But um, you pick, I, I got to say, you picked three beers that are like, yeah, all of them are mouthfuls. Like these are, like there's not like, like a nice light lager in here or something like something super crisp and clean. It's just like, here's this one and it's rich. And here's this one and it's rich. And here's another one. And guess what? But you know it's what? rich I and it's high in alcohol. <laughs> but I figured, you know, like I like those like rich beers during winter. Yeah. You know, when we do our summer podcasts, it's all like light and like we yeah, just the half of ice and yeah. super cold yeah. and super light. But I find like I'm okay with like more of the room temperature. We, I don't know if you guys have noticed, we almost always have it in the fridge, but today we've had it out. So it's been a little bit more room temperature, but like during the winter, I'm a little more okay with the room temperature, richer beers. I, I, yeah, I, I like the belly. Yeah. I like embracing them. This would be like a Halifax go to. Oh, would it? Yeah. Because <laughs> one thing people love to do in Scotia is get shit faced. Yeah. And this goes down this pretty will good. Do it. So oh, yeah. don't worry. You can have as much as you want, oh. sir. <laughs> you guys invite me here more often. Yes. <laughs> I want to send you guys wobbling home. <laughs> and then after this podcast, I'll write with my live pocket live crew and uh, I'll just be drunk. <laughs> Um, Perfect. Okay, so what's our order? Uh, let's rate these things in order. So, Evan, I think the darkest. What, what, what's your? You gave your order. What was yours? Yours was. Uh, you like the at? You like? The, I think um, I like the alt beer. Probably is my favorite. Okay. And then, I'm gonna say that probably the uh, the stout. Okay, the, the mobby uh, dinky. The mobby dinky would be number two for me, and then the. Uh, the barley wine. The Maybe it's just right now. Okay. I'm just like it's a little bit much for me right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but so it's good. like it's good. It's good. Okay. Um, do you want to go next? What's sure. your What's your order? <laughs> the mommy dinky is your favorite. No, no, no. That was this one, right? The mommy. Willie Warmer's. Willie Warmer. That's your favorite. I like the Willie Warmer, which yeah. is funny because normally, like, I'm not much of a drinker to as far as it goes, but yeah, I really like that. And normally I don't go for dark beers. So these guys are actually like really surprising me Nice, because I would never, if I had gone in and picked the beers, I probably would have not picked either one of these. I probably would have more likely picked this one. Right. Um, but yeah, this is my favorite. This would be my second favorite. And okay. Yeah. So, so Mobby Dinky's your second. And then, uh, the, uh, alt beer, the German alt beers, your, your third. Who's, who's, what was his name again? 
His name is Ryan Hauser. Ryan Hauser. Mm-hmm. And he plays for the OHL. He plays for the and OHL. He's got a beer after him. That's how he does it. And I'm sorry, but his beer is not my fave. So, <laughs> I, so I would say, uh, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I would say my favorite is the Ryan Hauser is my first. I just, I don't know, I really like it. I always, I, I personally like kind of sweet beers a little bit. So not too sweet, but it's like sweet, but it's kind of got that, you know, like hoppy finish. It's still good. Um, and then I would say the next one is, um, what's this one called? It's the, uh, Willie Warmers. And then I would say Moby Dinkies, my third. Um, but it's hard for me. They're yeah, all, they're, they're all, all like good. super Yeah, close. no, they're, they're, they're all very good. Yeah. Like it might be sounding like I'm, I'm just being like down on them or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I mean like that's the thing about Callister. Like so many of their beers are so good. So, um, and where did you say they were again down on Clark and Hastings? Yeah, so they were, so, uh, for those who, cause we have some people who are in other places in the world, like Australia, New Zealand and all sorts oh, of stuff, wild. you know? So, um, and we got a lot of fans in Britain. I don't know what's <laughs> happening in Britain, but they like us over there. All right. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So this is in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So right down at the, you know, at north of Clark, like right over by Hastings there. Mm-hmm. One block in, more north. Callister Brewing. And they're, uh, yeah, they're good. Yeah, and for people who are internationals, you ever come to Vancouver, great city, um, and you like beer, Oh yeah. Oh man. It's expanding all the time. We keep getting new breweries coming up all the time. These just craft breweries with all these like, yeah. yeah. So if you love beer, it's a, it's a good way to go. And go anyway, tour. that was a good segue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's get back to yeah, like let's music. Get back into art and music and, and art. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, so I, I, the thing that I always like to ask musicians is, um, how, how does, uh, how does a song first start coming together for you, usually? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> more often than not. Okay, so, I don't think... <laughs> I think probably as small as 10% of the songs I will have written just sitting there playing and, and putting it together. And that's just, like, before I get into 10%? It. Just... 10%. Just, like, 90, but this is... Like, um, basically kind of idea? Well, I'll finish. The okay. other 90%... Is me sitting in front of I almost always need to have something on in the background. I need there to be <laughs> usually it's like South Park oh because really? I've, I've seen every episode of South Park a million and a half times, so if I have it on in the background, I don't need to watch it it's not it's not distracting me, okay, but it is distracting a certain part of me. I feel like if i'm most times if I'm the only person making any sort of sound around me then even if it doesn't exist, I get this idea that somebody's listening to me. Mm. And at that point, now I'm putting on a show. Now I'm not playing for me. Now I'm playing for whoever else is around. So that can become very distracting if I'm just trying to write and I just need to like play the same part over and over. Interesting. Yeah. That's, you know, every musician we've ever had on the show, which we had a few now, they all have a different process. I love that. It's, it's, I, I find it's, it fascinating. Like so I just, weird. I find that so fascinating, and I, like it just, it, it's neat to me because it opens my mind to like different ways of working, and like there's no right way, but it's your way. There's, and I love that you're you're finding it and you're owning it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's something I'm embracing in 2017. Like you know, um, like uh, my pocket live crew, right? People join me, and I'll be up at three in the morning writing a screenplay. Like go to bed, man, you're tired. I'm like. 
I'm like, nah, like I'm still going like something about being up at two. Like it's like magic hour is between one and two. I swear I get the most pages done like right in that (laughs) hour. But for some reason, if I just like, if I just will stay awake and write during that time, magic seems to come out of like, I just, I feel, I feel like I'm in the zone, like almost naturally at that time. I don't know why, but I've been learning to like embrace that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think one of the things I'm trying as well is like, I realize that this is the most common way I've written music is having this background noise and it's, and it's almost every single time it's the way it goes, especially if I'm writing lyrics. Hmm. Um, so there's two thoughts that always come into my mind. And the one is that the one thought is that I can't slip into this. It's like, I realize that this is something that I use and is a, a fantastic tool for me to actually write but I shouldn't disregard any other way that create like the creative process could come because just because this is the way I've written most times isn't, doesn't mean that it's going to be the way I've, I will write every single time. So I should also explore like, cause you asked, how does the song come about? Most times I'll be sitting just with a guitar in my hand doing a bunch of bullshit. And right. then I do something on random that I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of neat. And then I start to put it together by ear. And then the lyrics and the melody, melody will come first. And then usually I will put lyrics to the melody. And that can be tricky because as a drummer, it needs to be very rhythmic. And it needs to be... So the words kind of need to fit in the way that uh, this... It needs to work phonetically. Right. You know what I mean? The Okay. The the, um, the emphasis of the word needs to be on a beat or it needs to be off a beat, but it needs to make sure that it's working in the rhythm of the song. Mm. And that's something that it kind of like confines me. But as well, I always wonder to myself, if I'm writing all this music to, to cartoons and I'm, the lyrics are coming into my head, am I picking words and phrases from the TV shows that I'm watching? You know what I mean? It's like, am I writing songs totally based on like a South Park script? Well, I mean, if you write like respect my authority, <laughs> then you're probably like, yeah. <laughs> trying maybe selfie balls or whatever. Yeah. That is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're like quoting some like super like, like old South Park now. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's very interesting, but something I want to, I don't ever want to stop myself from any sort of creative process, but that's just the one that works the easiest, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. I feel like there is, there's something about, you know, um, yeah, like distracting a certain part of your mind in order for something to come through. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of, um, writers and, and musicians and stuff and, they've done things like, you know, like they drink, you know, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and do drugs and stuff to help them, uh, like get some of these things out. It becomes a part of their process for a time yeah. because it's the only thing that I think gets a part of your, like this voice in your head to shut the fuck up. Right. Right. And me, and so <laughs> to me, this is kind of like what that's almost like if, if I'm not extending myself too far into your world here or, or assuming too much, but it's escapism. It's, it's just it's something way, that's like, just distracts a certain part of your mind. So the part that needs to write the song can do its job because we often, like we talk about how, you know, when you're in creative mode, the artist needs to have the room. 
and the editor can't be in the room with the artist. That's right? a really good way of putting it. And yeah. then once the once the creator, once the artist has had its time to do its thing to completion, then the editor can come in start picking it apart and picking it apart right and then pass and then pass the notes to the artist but then the artist needs to have the room again Mm -hmm. right um but and and by the way when i was saying this i'm not i i am not saying nor denying that somebody should you know that that you should or should not do drugs or alcohol. To well, what are you saying to our live 11-year-old audience? Like, I'm saying... I'm not saying don't do drugs. I'm not saying Oh my do god, someone's spirit is like watching way. going, you will not watch these people anymore. You will well, not I mean, watch this is, them. This is the live stream, but I mean, yeah. on our podcast, it's we are explicit content, so yeah. it is an adult audience for this. I'm just saying like be responsible like because I'm not going to deny how much better the Beatles got after they started doing drugs (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) like like and I'm not saying that it's necessarily a healthy thing to do either I'm just saying it's something to be very respectful and uh, towards and that it's not necessarily the way to do it but I'm not go- the thing is that I've there's too much that I've seen like the Beatles basically after they like went and started doing like acid and and mushrooms and all kinds of stuff I mean Sgt Pepper's came out that was the album that changed that changed fucking music like <laughs> yeah. it changed music so you can't say that there's nothing to it and then it's all just a bunch of ridiculous shit well, but it's it's something yeah. that that it's just one of uh, one of the ways that I think people have used to get the ego out of the way mm. so that a creative process can, can unfold. Well, well something, um, sort of, no, no, you in. go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it makes me think of uh, a band I'm very fond of and I don't have to name them or anything, but when they were younger, they were taking a lot of drugs and the music they made was like creatively. I was just blown away. And as they got older, they stopped doing drugs and the music they started making wasn't wasn't just wasn't as out there and wasn't as creatively stimulating to me. Right. But when I listened to them perform live in the era that they were doing all those drugs, they were shit. Right. They just it just they were all over the place. They weren't tight. They weren't yeah. together. When they stopped doing drugs, the music might have suffered, but their playing, their performance mm. was yeah. so much higher just because they were they were they were there. Yeah. So where well, you might need to escape a little bit, a part of you needs to leave in order for this other part to really focus and get something out. When you're performing something that's already out, maybe you just need the more the more connected and more present you are, the more you can really make it effective. You raise a really good point. I think that, you know, we talk a lot about the creator and the editor on this podcast, like leave, make the editor leave the room when you're creating. But when you're creating and when you're editing, there's actually a third party. There's the performer and the Mm. performer has an entirely different job. I actually worked with an acting teacher who said, when you're in class, I do not want you to use the word performing. You're not performing for anyone right now. This is practice. You are working on your craft. You are developing. It is not for anybody but you. So don't even use that word performing here. You're in process. And I thought, that's a really, really powerful message. That's a good point because right now I am the creator. 
I am the practicer. I am the person working my craft. And then afterwards, when you give me notes, now we're in editor mode. And then afterwards, when I book the job and I start putting this work out there, I will be in performance mm-hmm. mode, but there are three different hats. And it's really interesting. Cause I think what happens is like, um, I think that when we're young, we learn like absolutely no to drugs. Drugs are bad period. And, um, you know, I'm not saying like anyone should do drugs, but I, but I think that we have just for the, for the masses, the whole idea is don't do drugs. Drugs are bad because people misuse them. But I think in a creative mode, if you use it for creative, like, um, you know, self-discovery, artistic discovery within reason, it probably is okay. The editor doesn't need it. And the performer doesn't need it. But I think when people take it into their editing process and they take it into their performing process, that's where they abuse it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so like, if you do a drug and you can't not do it the next time, then you have a problem. Then there's an that's, issue. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good point. But if you can do a drug like once, even drink, like if people said drinking kills you, you will get cancer immediately. Like if you drink it, like, and, and I found that out, I would just stop drinking. I don't care. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. I love drinking beer. You know, it's great. I love it, but I would literally, I could stop cold Turkey. Not a problem. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter to me, but I think if you can't, then that's, more of a personal issue. It's not an artistic assistance, you know? Yeah. 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 And so I think like, I think it's important to, uh, you know, make, draw lines between all this stuff because I don't think anything is intrinsically bad in our world. It's yeah. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tool and however you use it. I actually thought about it today in a different way. It was like thinking about, I was like, fuck, I hate cell phones. (laughs) And then I was like, and I went through this whole thought process in my head where it's like, well, maybe I can downgrade. I'll just get like a flip phone. And then I was like, but I'm going to be paying as much. <laughs> and then I was like, but really it doesn't matter. It's yeah. a tool and I'll use it how I see fit. Right. And if I don't want to get into all the things with it that I dislike <clears throat> about it, then I don't have to. Right. There's no reason yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know what? Um, so Evan shared a video and he talked a bit about it in our last podcast, but um, the, the whole millennial challenge and how we're addicted to our social media and our phones. Mm. And because I've been kind of taking on the social media responsibility for the podcast and, and whatnot, um, it's been, I've been learning to draw lines between where do I want to keep this social media and where do I want to draw a line? Because previously to kind of releasing the podcast, I would say it was pretty like, like almost the most basic of social media. Like I would make a post every now and then I very minimal, almost didn't even look at social media. But then I realized that if we want to grow, if we want to expand our audience, if we want to connect with the rest of the world. And by the way, I mean, there's people who are live who've tuned in through our Twitter, um, who are basically connecting with us, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So social media obviously has an amazing impact, but where do I draw the line? And so what I'm learning to do is like make specific time to do my technical work. And, and so then I do that. And then I literally will put my phone down. I will, I will like leave it on the other side of the room. I won't even look at it. I don't put it in my pocket or anything because it's a discipline. It's like, when am I on? And when am I not on? And yeah. being like, cause if you're always like kind of a little bit distracted by your social media, which it can get, yeah. you know, oh, even yeah. text messages. Oh yeah. Whatever, right? it's, it's still a social media. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes away from your art. Right. And so like when I'm writing, like when I'm on pocket live and I'm writing, I might be a little distracted by my say live audience, but we're, I look at it as we're in it together. It's us against this script. It's not even just me. And I like having them. And I, and I had a, uh, you know, someone who 
I think we're kind of becoming friends there on social media. And they said, you know, I don't want to bug you while you're writing. And I said, no, like I like your company, but I look at it as us together against this script. Your company helps me. It makes me feel supported, Mm -hmm. but my phone and all that other stuff, I mostly, for the most part, put it away. I just, I put it aside every once in a while. I'll check in with it. If someone like wants me to do a social media thing Mm -hmm. to like connect with them. But I think that that's kind of what we need to do as artists. We need to like, like when you're practicing music, you need to like block in. That's my music time mm-hmm. and everything else, you know, everything else goes. Right. And I think we need to be like that. You know, we need to a hundred percent own the thing we're doing and be willing to turn off everything else. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's so hard. It is hard yeah. because at this point too, um, just as far as Facebook goes, I haven't been on Facebook in probably a couple months, Yeah, but I still keep the messenger on my phone. And that was something I debated with for a long time. It's because I don't want any part of Facebook, but it is a tool you can use, but I just don't know how to utilize it that well. Right. But as far as messenger, I have so many contacts and so many people that I've been, that are professional contacts at this point that I don't want to lose out on. That's good. It's, yeah. it's sure. I can email people and let them know that this is how we're going to communicate. But as far as just an easy way to know, I have all these people that I can get in touch with if I need to messenger is the way, but it's just hard. Like if it, like, for example, you, uh, you said you have a friend, you're kind of like through working on this script, you're kind of becoming friends, but even still, like when you, when they say, I don't want to bother you while you're working on the script, it's still kind of in a capacity where, you know, it's going to move towards, uh, more work being done. Right. But if you have your phone on you and you have a text going off every couple yeah. of minutes, that's someone in your immediate vicinity that is looking for something from you probably. Right. And that's what you have to block out because immediately that's a distraction. That's I'm in this place now. Yeah. And it's deciphering between what's a distraction and what's actually like an asset. Mm-hmm. And like, the thing is, is like, I love, I love like pocket live TV because like when we're live, and people ask a question, like I'm writing my script and I'll be like, okay guys, I'm like, cause I don't, not every session I do live is like, uh, you know, uh, just a writing the script, but recently because I'm finishing this thing off, I'm doing it, but I'll, I'll be like, okay guys, I might get focused here and then I'll tune in with you in a second. But then I look up and they've asked a question and then we'll start a dialogue. And it's really great because I can take a break from that scene for a moment have a conversation, interact, get myself out of my little artistic bubble for a moment, refreshes me a little bit. I come back and I'll write again. And, um, and, and what's really cool is that I actually have people on the other side of, of the, the broadcast who are, you know, probably with us right now. And like, they actually consider that, which I think like, man, like this is like, like a friend, like you actually are concerned that you're distracting me from Mm -hmm. my thing. And it's like, that's amazing. I mean, the fact that we're building a live friendship and like some people are on the other side of the world. And I just think like, it's incredible. And you use the right word. You call it a tool. Mm. I think it's a tool. Like some of the people I'm connecting with on like pocket live, I would never connect with otherwise, but I get to connect with them through my art. And so, you know, and also I can always turn off the broadcast and say, okay, I need to do this alone. And I'm sure everybody would understand, but that's the cool thing. Like, you know, and so I think it's, we're in a changing world where we have more and more access to these tools and we need to figure out how to use them appropriately. Yeah. It's like, you know, like if you have a hammer, you don't use that for everything you do. Yeah. Can I ask you something? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. for po- cause I don't know what pocket live is Okay. Uh, other than what you've just shown me here. Yeah. Um, so when you're on pocket live and you're writing your script, 
are these other people that are doing like a similar thing to what you're doing right there? Or are they just people <laughs> that are hanging out and tuning in? Like, I'm not really sure what the, yeah. So not, so not necessarily. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean like, like it's all new, it's all kind of new to me, you know, it's, uh, I've social only been, media evolves. Yeah. Like these things will come. I'm evolving with yeah, it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I've only been literally like live bra- broadcasting for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been broadcasting for that long, but, um, as I connect with the audience, um, you know, people are watching me in my process. A lot of the time, like, like when I'm, when I'm working on a script, if I work alone, what I find is I get super silent and I get very much internal, which is okay sometimes. And I do, I do that. But what I like about having the pocket live thing is like they, the people being there encourage me to speak my script out. And so I'll say my script to them or I'll tell them my thought process. And so then I feel like it's really great because we get to whole, share that. And so they might not be, they might just be watching me kind of doing their own thing. Um, but what's really great is like, I find that because I'm being more outward, I'm sharing my process and I, I find that it helps me get into flow a little bit. Um, for some things, I think it's better for me to just shut everything out and be silent. Um, if people were writing on the other end, they haven't necessarily told me yet, but if it encourages, encourages them to write, I think it's good. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. And I mean, every, there's all sorts of different musicians here on pocket live. I mean, there's musicians, there's artists, there's all sorts of people, right? Yeah. So like, um, I don't know how people respond to other channels, but I find it's really cool because like part of it is I'll, I'll be like, actively, some of it, I'll be actively sharing insights. I learned about filmmaking and some of it will be, um, people joining me for my process. And it's, it's just neat. It's a, it's a new evolving thing. I, yeah. I mean, it's I don't new, even yeah. know if I'm, if I'm used to it yet, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's exciting. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's kind of neat. Yeah. Because yeah. this is, well, this will be literally the first time something like this has been able to happen. Totally, like, yeah. I don't think in, in the history, anybody has been able to sit and write a script and be like, this is my thought process. Right. And literally anybody in the whole planet can be like, well, this is an idea I would have if yeah. you were having this. Yeah. That's so cool. It's neat. And you but know, this like, is social media evolving as well. Like totally. we're moving past Facebook and all of that crap and into something that is like truly beneficial. Like a uh, hit record. You turned me on to that. Yeah. This whole community of people that are just collaborating. Yeah. That's what this site is meant to do is like you put something up there. Now it's everybody's right. And that's so neat. I think that's a really cool way to use community. I've been having a hard time with it because personally, when I start getting on a project, it's like my baby and I have a hard time releasing that. But that's, that's something I'm working on too, because being able to release more out there just means that who the hell knows what could be created if you were just able to let go a little more. Totally. Mm. And it's neat. I mean, like, um, you know, I think that that's kind of our millennial culture. You know, we want our work to have meaning. We want to connect with each other. I think, um, you know, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation was a very industrial, very um, digital type of world. Whereas now we're much more Um, we want to know purpose. We want to have purpose. We want to have connection with each other. And like notoriously writers have always written alone. And what I find really cool about this whole pocket live thing is like, I started broadcasting live on my screen screenplay, like just, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago. I don't know. And like people were digging it and we started talking and I was like, this is cool. And I was like, I'm writing, but I'm not alone. This is the first time in my career as a writer that I like other than being in a cafe, but I'm not talking to anybody when I'm there. Mm, you're just in public. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Maybe I'll talk to the person next to me every now and then, but for the most part, I'm mostly in silence, but in public here I'm in public, but I'm actually connecting 
with the public. And, and I find that to be a really neat way to do art. Like, but it breaks all the models mm. of how we used to do art. Cause <laughs> yeah. art has always been do it silently. Don't let anyone steal your idea. I'm not worried about any of that. I'm just not worried about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's the last thing on my mind yeah. because like we're, we're, I, I look at it as inspiration and connection. And I just think it's neat. Like, you know, and I see these musicians on pocket live who, um, they're playing their music for everybody. And I'm like, I can just listen to someone play live guitar in front of me and I can make a request and they'll play it back. And I'm like, that's so cool. I can just have that like instantly because they're there, you know? And I just, I, I think like we're just, it's these ways in which we're evolving our world as artists, which I find fantastic, you know? So it's neat. I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. It's, it's going to, it's always going to keep changing. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Again. You got to do, do it. Do it. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll hold it. <laughs> we'll hold it down. Yeah. We'll hold it down. Um, yeah. How long have you been playing guitar by the way? Uh, I, I, when did I start to show an interest? I think I picked up, I probably started playing when I was like, uh, 14, 15. Yeah. 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 Cause my dad had played and we didn't have, there was guitars when I was a kid, we lived in Saskatchewan and there was guitars around there, but then we moved and, uh, like there was just like, we got rid of like everything pretty much, but the guitars were still, it was just that, you know, we had to move like the like big sort of important stuff and like in a car in a pickup truck basically like not even a U-Haul, like a car and a pickup truck. Like that's, we moved our whole lives in that. And so guitars did not have a priority to go in with that, especially since they, you know, storing them safely for a trip like that just was not feasible. So, um, eventually at one point, I think actually I brought a guitar back I had gone back to see like some family cause like all like my grandparents and, and whatever, and they're, they were holding on to all the instruments. So brought one guitar with us and then somebody visited and they brought another guitar <laughs> with them. Cause I think I brought back my dad's classical first and then, cause I started learning on like playing on classical and then, uh, that finger stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and then brought back, uh, just, a like an acoustic and then the electric, I think was the, f- was the last one that made its way out. And yeah, I don't know. It was, I don't know exactly what it, what it was, but I just, I just knew I, it was something I wanted to learn. Yeah. It was something just from how like my dad would, my dad would play, you know, some of his favorite songs and stuff. I just hear him go. And it was just like, I just loved, um, I just loved the sound and the melodies that, you know, you could make, mm-hmm. you know, like it was just these things, like you just make these sounds that sounded so beautiful, you know, like I was just, and I was just like, I want to do that. I want to be able to, to create that. Yeah. And yeah. so then I, and then I, I went off on my journey and it started off in classical and then it went into acoustic because I was working. I had, they got me a teacher because my dad taught me some stuff, but he's like, I didn't learn properly how to play guitar. I want you to learn some good, mm-hmm. good skills and techniques. So 
And at that time, for some reason, I had it. I'm like, I'm like, I want to learn how to play classical. I want to learn how to play like flamenco guitar. Oh, really? That's because yeah. it's so fucking cool. Oh, it yeah. is. It was super cool. But I think I was more so in love with the idea of of playing like that. So, yeah. but I gave it like two years. Wow. Um, learning some of those styles and and some of those techniques, and I know in it's benefited me in ways I, I can't even comprehend right now, but it, it hit a point where I just went, I, cause I was getting a little bit older. Like I picked it up and I started doing that when I was like 14 years old. And then a few years later, I was like 16, 17 years old. And it was like, Oh, you know, you're starting to go to parties and like, you know, have like a very strong interest in women. Yeah. And you're like, you know, Guitar. I'd like to play some like, <laughs> Like, Wonderwall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like to learn how to play yeah. some acoustic songs that people can sing and like, yeah, Wonderwall. Uh, you know what? Wonderwall wasn't even one of the first ones. What was the first one that I wanted to learn? It was Be Like That by Three Doors Down. Yeah. If you can remember that one, that's a great tune. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, I'm like, I want to learn how to play that one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, it was, it was one of those songs I would start playing it at like a party and it was Surefire Girls were like, oh! <laughs> when you only have to actually know like the first three words and then everybody actually sings the rest. Yeah, and just, like, totally. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And That's then, awesome. and so then, but I, I did, I wanted to have stuff that I could like songs that I, I, I could sing and, and people knew the words to and mm-hmm. stuff. And I couldn't do that with classical guitar. You know, people just kind of watch you play it. And it was, it was kind of neat, but not great for parties necessarily. And then from there, I was like a lot of acoustic and, and doing that sort of thing and had a big love affair with Jack Johnson. I still love Jack Johnson, yeah. but had a big love affair, learned how to play pretty much the entire, um, uh, what is it? Better together album or, mm-hmm. or I is think it's banana pancakes. Yeah. Is on? <laughs> yeah. I pretty much learned how to play that. I pretty much learned how to play that whole album. Um, and then at some point, I just got it in my head for like, especially since then, like it was, it was post high school and a little ways into my twenties that I discovered Zeppelin, like really discovered Led Zeppelin. (laughs) And I was just like, Oh my God, what is this? And then after seeing, um, and after having pondering it for a while about like picking up electric and then I think it was the documentary, this might get loud. Yeah. And I, I watched that and I said, fuck, I'm, <laughs> I've got to learn how to play, play electric because this you is so, s- you went in such an interesting arc. Like usually I find when people are wanting to learn guitar straight to the electric, it's like, boom, I'm going to learn how to fucking shred. And people, that's what they want to do is they yeah. want to shred. Yeah. I'm going to play as many notes as I can as quick as possible. Uh, I, I never really had an interest in that. That's good because like, yeah. I remember meeting, um, still don't have an interest in that, <laughs> <laughs> man. I had, uh, I remember, okay. So in, uh, back in Scotia, we had this, it was a rock camp and I did this for probably like three years and it was the best time I had as my young life. It was amazing. Like all these kids got together and they played their different instruments and they put you into bands and then they had like classes and then you got with your band and you pick songs and then you did a big performance at the end and everybody loved the shit out of it. But, um, I got, I got put with these two guys that were, they were really, they were the younger of pretty much, they were the youngest group 
and there were these two guitar players and they were unreal for the, their age. Like they were, they yeah. were shredders. Yeah. They were like, they were into a lot of those, uh, soloists like Ingve Molenstein. Oh yeah. Ingve Molenstein. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I pronounced yeah. his name right, but <laughs> like into <laughs> that a, sort of stuff, yeah. like a, what do they call it? <laughs> Neoclassical metal and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they were so hard to get along with. So they put me with them because I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just play along. <laughs> but that just killed any of that idea for me because they were amazing in the fact that they could shred and they could hit all these notes, but the space between the notes became so important and it just didn't exist. (laughs) There was no space between the notes. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was my thing that I, I just didn't get into the, the shredding. I mean, not, I didn't really listen. I didn't have a real attraction to it like growing up at all. Um, I did admire players who could play fast, but I, it was those pauses between the notes because I also started to really get into like some of the blues players. You say BB King and all those guys, they're just hitting one note and leaving it hang for like ever. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's just so amazing. And like, it's, it would speak so much more in that one note than, you know, like this whole crazy run of like shredding up and down, you know, up and down the fretboard, you know, it's like, you know, it's just kind of, for me, it was a little bit masturbation for me, like technically extraordinary, technically extraordinary. But to me, it's, it was still, there's that stuff underneath. It's like a big budget film that has no fucking heart to it. You know, it's just like, it's got all of the effects. It's got all of the, you know, it's got the big star cast. It's got like all the bells and whistles, but there's just nothing of substance underneath it. Well, we talked about this earlier too. I think when I said that when I'm writing tunes, I'll put a lot of stuff in there and it's kind of an ego thing for me where I want other musicians to listen to it and think what I'm doing is impressive. Right. And I think that that's a lot of what that is too, is technically, holy shit, you're incredible. Yeah. But for the listener and for lack of a better word, like if there's no soul in it, then yeah, you know what? Because then what you run the risk of, and I had an acting, an acting friend as well as he's a phenomenal acting teacher as well. Uh, he said that the worst compliment you could ever give an actor. And I think that as an artist is to call them clever. Mm. Why, Why would you say that? Because a clever artist is just someone who's kind of like pulled one over on you. You know, it's like, it was very heady, very intelligent, Mm -hmm. but kind of lacking in heart, you know, like it's, it's a bit of a magic trick. It's a bit of optics. And so, so if if you were to be clever in artistry is to kind of, well, like you said, pull one over on someone's eyes to say, I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than you in this way, or I'm going to show you in this way. Yeah. It's rather like, than look, at how, look at how smart I am. Your work becomes about, look at how smart I am. Look at how clever I am, how intelligent I am. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like something real and human, which is, this is, I think the, the reason why I just absolutely love the discussion of artistry and creativity is because it's such a fucking mysterious thing. (laughs) Yeah. After thousands of years of people doing creative things, it's this 
like you can like we've well, talked about this you can check all the boxes technically on how yeah. something's supposed to be done and it's absolute shit mm-hmm. yeah right like <laughs> why the fuck is that right like and That's it's like it's, and you just go it's missing that something yeah it's missing you know and we'll we use words like it's missing authenticity or genuineness it's like well how do you prove that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it just, all of us, we all just went, <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. have it. Yeah. Right. Like, and so that's what I love about it. It's just, can, it's like, I think creativity and, you know, writing a script, writing a song, doing a performance. It's like this grappling with this thing that's like slipping through your fingers, but it's like, but sometimes you're riding with it. And sometimes like you're wrestling with it. And yeah. at the end you come out, with this thing that's like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> look like, at this. You, like, you, you know, like artistry. And I think that like, like, I think like artists who really make a career out of their art that really not just necessarily have commercial success, but they impact their audience. They know how to do it. It's like kind of like going underwater and wrestling with a shark. You're a little bit like, I'm way out of my depths. <laughs> I have like no power. And there's this fucking beast of a creative thing. And I'm yeah. going to fucking, I'm going to try and deal with it. Yeah. And like when you're, when you're feeling like that, you're like absolutely on pinpoint fucking you're on your edge and you're just like, I don't want to get eaten alive <laughs> at the same time. Like there's this, like, I'm going to survive this thing, you know? And there's this, like this craziness of it. Right. And I think like, artistry is like that. You know, I, I've heard, I, like I've, I've interacted with people who have been like trying to break down artistry into logic. And I have my own little logic system. And we talked about it before the podcast, but like I take that and I give myself an outline and then I say, after this is done, it's getting crazy. Like, <laughs> like, like, like we have the, like, it's like, I'm going to, it's like almost like, okay, we're going to take a boat. We're going to go to this destination. We're going to jump in the water and then I'm going to be battling a shark and we don't yeah. know what the shark's going to do. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of like how I look at it, right? Yeah. Because like structure can only take you so far. I think it's important to have, but at a certain point you got to let go of the life jacket and you just got to like, be like, and we're in this, you know, it's like, it's honestly, it's like an eye journey. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I'm totally out of my depths. I'm totally out of control. And let's just, let's just, just like, let this it. roll, yeah. you know? Cause like that's, yeah. and I think like art, there's a certain kind of like, uh, you know, there's a certain kind of like, you just have to, you know, you have to deal, like you have to treat art a little bit like a wild animal. You, if you, if you make it too like, uh, if you conform it too much, if you make it like too, um, what's the word? Like, like a household animal, you, you try to make it like predictable and right. safe. You try to domesticate, yeah, domesticate, try to domesticate creativity. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> that's almost the name of this, you know, is like, that's, I think the lesson we've come to at the end, but don't domesticate creativity. Like let it be wild and like go out there in the wild and, and take it on like a warrior, you know, and take it on. And, and when it takes you down and it's pinned you to the ground and you've got nothing left to fight, just stay in the game. You know, that's kind of what it's like, you know, just be present while it eats you alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like, it's crazy to think, but you're not going to die doing art. That's why art is amazing. Yeah. That's why we can make horror movies where people are stabbing each other and killing each other. But we can, we can do that because we're using our mind. We're, we're, you're not actually living that, but yeah. if you go in and you experience it, 
you can impact the audience with it. Right. And I think, I think sometimes though, like when you're in that place, it it was weird as you're talking about that. I just like, I I pictured like a bear, like having you pinned to the ground, you know, and just like, like right over top of you, right on your face. And it's like, sometimes I find that as far as using this as a metaphor for a creative process. Yeah. Um, it's like, sometimes like it's just pins you down like that because you're not paying attention. Right. You're trying to control the bear and the bear is just like, like, no, look. Yeah. You're going Stop. this way. And then it's like, yeah. let go. Cause you said this earlier about, um, letting go. Yeah. 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 If you said, um, uh, if we could something like if we could let go the things oh, yeah. we could create, who knows the things we could create if we could, if we could let go a little more, that's what you said. I love that. That's I a good quote. I love that. And well, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Oh. We haven't recorded it. Yeah. No, you said that a little while Drink ago. Some and more I, beer and I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm actually glad we got, yeah. I'm glad we got back around to it because yeah. I wanted to mention, I'm like, I'm like, I, just love that. That's, that's, that is, that that's is, quotable. That it's is absolutely thing, quotable. I mean, and it's funny cause you said it earlier in the podcast, but we didn't have context for it, but now we've kind of got to the discussion point where we kind of uncovered it. And I think that is really it. Like, you know, I think that's the hard thing for an artist to let go and to like, be like, I'm totally out of control. Have you guys ever surfed before? Uh, I've done it twice. And every time I get my ass kicked, I try to get out there the wave takes the board, hits me in the chest and brings me right back to shore <laughs> every well, single time to succeed, <laughs> to succeed at surfing. In my opinion, you must, you must embrace nature because that wave and that coral reef that's under you. If you're in, like I did in Hawaii, that coral reef that's under you, you, you are like, I am, I am at your mercy. I have total respect for where I'm at. And I am just like almost this tiny little speck in this in massive power. And the bigger the wave, the more power you experience. And I think like with surfing, if you like, if you almost allow yourself to be water, to be powerless, to trust the water, you can surf. But if you try to control a wave, you are done. (laughs) You are done because that wave has no forgiveness. It will take you over and it will slam you, you know? And like, that's kind of like creativity. It's a little bit like surfing, you know, it's, and it's scary as hell sometimes when you're in it. And like, you don't like as an artist, like honestly, as a writer, sometimes I don't even know how I find myself in the middle of like a wave. And I'm like, it's like when I'm surfing, I always do this thing where I like look back and I'm like, this is too big. (laughs) That's what it's like as an artist. You're like, Oh, this is too big. And it's like, okay, but it's too late. We can't go back and we can't go forward. Cause if I go forward and I give up, like it's slamming me. Yeah. If I don't give into it, like there's not no option, but to go with it. Yeah. And like, I find as an artist sometimes, and it's magical when you embrace it, like it's like the best experience in life, but like you got to embrace it. But if you don't, it'll literally just slam you. You know what I mean? And I find artistry is a little bit like that, but it's not all the time. But like, I think that's the moment we hope for as artists. And I think we train to be at the point where when that wave comes, no matter how big it is, and it's usually bigger than you expect, <laughs> you're like, okay, I think we're, every wave we're I've ever this. seen has been bigger than I expected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, I think that's, I think that's the thing. I think we got to like, 
We just got to learn to embrace the nature of it. And we got to stop trying to control it and understand it. You know, like, I think it's great. We have these discussions, but at the end of the day, I don't think our podcast will ever come to an end point where it's like, okay, we've talked about everything but (laughs) art. We'll always be a little bit, a little bit at them, at the humility and, and subject to nature of, of artistry, because artistry is, it's bigger than us. It's something we can never fully grasp. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I look at it these days, you know? So I read a, a book a while ago and I can't remember the author's name, unfortunately. Um, Do you remember the name of the, the book? The book was called uh, Sacred, uh, Sacred Economy. Okay. And essentially it talked about all sorts of things. I didn't make it all the way through it before I had lost in transit. But one of the things I remember was talking about um, commons and the commons that exist all around us. So what's most common in commons uh, right now is like a... Um, is like a, a commons such as like a park or something where everybody can go to and this is for everybody. Yeah. And it used to be that creativity was commonplace as well. You had a creative commons. So no story, no dance, no anything artistic was ever created solely as you. So hmm. if, and that's the way it used to be. You put a story in Anybody could take that story, use it for themselves, expand on it, change it to how they right. wanted. Right. Any song could be changed, and this is, was like kind of like, and the, and I wish I could quote it better, but it was kind of like talking about how um, more ancient civilizations and like uh, kind of like verbal tradition and that sort of thing, all these stories and that right. they're expanded upon depending on who's telling it, right. and that we fool ourselves into thinking that any idea we have is created out of thin air purely by us that oh, has yeah. never been done before. Right. And, and we think that we have pure ownership over these ideas that these, this is mine. This is no, in no way yours. Yes, please. In no way yours. This is solely something I've created yeah. because that's a fallacy. At no point has anything ever be created, been created out of thin air. It's always based on like a grouping of all of these ideas that you've heard before yeah. and at have in somewhere in your mind and you're putting them together. Well, I think that's the thing about being an artist is that ego wants us to need to be the inventor solely of this idea that is all ours. Yeah. You know, like this makes me special and this yeah, that's why I love fight club so much. You know what it says on the, on the Blu-ray on the special edition Blu-ray on the front cover, you were not special. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the thing is, is that is like, I think for the millennial generation, like that's why that movie was so ahead of its time. It was literally made for millennials. Yeah. But like once we accept that we are not intrinsically special, that we can build skills that make us like rise above what's normal, but we don't look at ourselves as intrinsically special. We begin to uncover that the humility of being a human being. Yeah. Because I think, I think true artistry flourishes under the idea that we are, you know, that, that we are all much, and I know this sounds kind of messed up, but we're all much less than we pretend to be. But if we own that shit, yeah, we are powerful. Like what, like the way I was saying about the wave, yeah, the wave is way more powerful than me. It's the whole entire ocean. And for me to try and be like, I'm better than the ocean is like, it's foolish. When you're in a wave and you're in a barrel, forget it. You just need to be like, I, you have me. 
I'm in your grasp, but yeah. I'm going to deal with you. You know what I mean? And that's the humility of it. Cause when you recognize the power of the wave, you become good at surfing. You become yeah. good at bodyboarding, anything to do with the water. Humility you know? is like yeah. a, an incredible thing that, that helps serve us. And just like one little comment, the other thing that I think that fits in beautifully with this whole thing with fight club, you are not special yeah. is that all of the concepts, like the, like the themes and the philosophies that fight club presents are nothing new and nothing special. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I know, that's point. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. These are concepts that have existed for thousands of years. Yeah. People have been talking about the concepts that, that Fight Club like that's brings so up, right? <laughs> but um, but we can only hear it. That's the great thing. Like I think like like um, and I, I did a I did a actually a live cast on and we did a podcast on on uh, you know on all of this stuff on on uh, Fight Club. But we can only hear it now we couldn't hear it like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We just yeah. couldn't hear it. But now we're running into the adversity of the wave, right? We're running into the power of nature and we're realizing, Hey, like maybe we're not special. And so like, we're beginning to wake up to it. And like, once you embrace nature, I think you have the ultimate power because when you see your humility in relation to nature and you realize I'm not, I'm not in control of any of this shit, you know, like, yeah, I don't control what you guys do. You guys are going to do whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I might pretend, but I have a little, maybe a little influence, but it's so m- minor. But like, if I just like, when you guys throw me something, I deal with that. We're, we're all good. Yeah. We're on the same page. Yeah. If so. we could just let go a little more, yeah. who knows what we could create. <laughs> Boom, this guy, Boom, this guy, this guy. We're going to have to rewind. That's why we got to have guests. Okay, so I hey, love let's, it. listen, we're at 90 minutes in the podcast. We've been doing good. Yeah. You guys want to wrap this baby up? And like, we can keep going live on our channel, but yeah. let's maybe um, wrap the podcast up. Like, yeah, what, did no, we, what did we learn from this baby? Well, I learned that uh, all the struggles I have creatively, like, I think the one big thing for me is that I wonder why I do it. <laughs> why the hell am I doing it? Yeah. If I'm not, cause we're so focused around making it a career. You know what I mean? Like there's such an idea that if it's not something that's going to sustain you, that's, and sustain is might not be, is a difficult no, word it's to use. It's an interesting word. Sustain. Sustain. Like how low level is sustain? Sus- right? Exactly. Yeah. Like that's at what goal. point that's is it going to sustain us? But it, it, yeah. it's sustain in what? Cause right. that's the thing too. Like when I said sustain there, what I meant is something that is going to bring me money so that I can feed myself. I can house myself. I can take care of it. I can be comfortable in the system that we exist in, but sustain doesn't exist solely in that to sustain with something could be just to to feel like you're living for something. It sustains me in my life. It makes me feel yeah. like I am worthy of fucking breathing. You know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really I, hard I think to say. like even, like even the words we choose, it's interesting that you say that. And I like how you made this, the, 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 like the differentiation between like, can I su- sustain myself financially, but can I sustain myself internally? Mm-hmm. And I think like as artists, sometimes we, we, we settle for the lowest common denominator. I feel like I did that a lot in my twenties because early in my twenties, I became a full-time artist, but I was happy being an artist at like the lowest level of being an artist, not at like a flourishing level. And so once I kind of became a full-time artist, I don't 
feel like I really pushed myself to where I could have. And I think like as artists, I think sometimes we don't realize that if we just reworded and I just want to blanket on like kind of, uh, go on top of your, what you learned. But, um, what I'm thinking is like, what we need to do is we need to look at how can we flourish, not just financially, but internally. Because like, I, I know lots of my friends who are like, man, I love that you're an actor and a filmmaker. I want to do that. And, and they don't feel fulfilled in their life. And so I think like, man, like they might have more money than I do, but I am fulfilled in my life. I'm living literally the dream that I set out to do. And regardless of what that looks like to everyone else materially, there's something that I wake up every morning and I'm like, like, honestly, like sometimes I, I have to slap myself in the face. I'm like, I'm walking to a cafe today to write a screenplay. I was hired to write. Like, I mean, that's crazy. But like, yeah, maybe I don't have the Ferrari yet. Right. But I'm doing the thing I love. And I think that there's this, you know, and I had, I had a lot of pressure at a young age to kind of like, you need to be financially successful, but like, you think we all feel that pressure. So anyway, so I mean like that, that was a, from what you said, like that was something that I got from this. And, and I think like, um, I think what I'm learning to do in 2017 is embrace the nature and realize my humility in the whole thing and just ride that wave, you know, ride that wave and be like, you know what? I'm not in control of any of this shit, but I'm going to ride that wave as best I can because wherever it's taken me is fine because I'm on the wave. It's much better than sitting on the beach, looking at other people riding the wave, right? You, on the, on the beach, you're safe on the beach, you're controlled. But when you're in the wave, when you're in, when you're surfing, like, or like you're doing art, you may be out of control, but you're on the wave and that's exhilarating. So that's the message I would leave everybody. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I don't know <laughs> if I have much else to add on to it, than, yeah. you know, than that, but yeah, I, I'm, and I've been much in the same vibe. I mean, we, uh, we see each other so often yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be any real coincidence about that. Um, but yeah, just like really accepting, um, the nature of creativity, the nature of what it is to be in that field and to, and to work in that. And, uh, and yeah, I think that I just love what you said earlier, man. (laughs) Say it one more time. (laughs) All right. Let me see if I can get it right again. (laughs) And how you said, because you put it actually so well without, I don't think you even understand. I don't don't even remember saying it. See, this is when people get quoted when they don't even know they're speaking some type of truth. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. You don't even realize you did it. It's like, but if we, um, if we learn to let go a little more, who knows what we could create? Boom. I mean, I, that's so one that I'm I like because I'm like, podcast, guys. <laughs> like you can yeah. just like that one has so much man, like that one, just like you could revisit that quote over and over and over again and find a deeper level of truth in it, which is what I love. You're going to write that in one of your blurbs. I'm totally well writing one of my blurbs. <laughs> and you're going to quote his name under. Okay. So let's uh, wrap this podcast up. It's wrapped up. And, uh, wrap and for up? our Pocket Live folks, we're going to keep you on so you can stay with us. We're going to answer your questions. So if you guys have questions now, it is the time to ask. Otherwise. Um, and uh, some selfless promotion. You can find any of my music on Together Apart on Bandcamp. It would just be uh, Bandcamp slash Together underscore Apart. 
Okay. And you're listening to our guest, Shane Martin, on the show today. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. And live his quote, man. Yeah. <laughs> Live that guy's quote. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.